0: And welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also
1: from The Next Reel.
0: We are looking at Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man, and we're right at the very end of the actual film. And back with us again, Nick Exposito from Fantasy Flix League. Welcome back, Nick. Hi, guys. Oh, well, thanks for having me back again. I love being here. We are thrilled to have you. And, uh, you know, this is a big one. Um, on today's show, we're looking at minute 118 of Iron Man. The minute starts with Rhodey telling Tony to just stick to the cards. And it ends with the casting by credits. That's right. We are hitting the credits in this minute. And, Nick, this is the minute that you had requested to be a part of. Why is that? I just love it. I just love this scene. I love how it's set
2: up. I love how it ends. Again, Robert Downey Jr. just plays it perfectly. And it also sort of deviates itself from the comics. And, um, you know, it's, it's a while in Iron Man's history before he does reveal that he is Iron Man. And again, we've been talking about how this movie... Uh, does things differently from typical superheroes and this is one of those things where it just throws out that there's there's no more alter ego there's no more hidden identity he just comes out he says it people freak out in the movie ends i just it's it's a subversion to this genre up until this point that i think is just very interesting and uh, makes it very fun
0: it's it's a great change from comic book history and and the whole as you kind of talked about the whole idea of heroes keeping their secret identities safe i mean it's a very big thing especially when you look at like peter parker and and the the dilemma i mean they they bank on that all the time in the movies and and the, yeah. the comics all the time about you know you know how do i tell mary jane that i'm both and all of this sort of stuff and i mean they they play it up so they can use it very much for dramatic purposes but this was a big subversion and it was great to see them do something uh, different with it what i think is funny you say how uh, how everyone reacts so strongly as soon as uh, and we're talking of course specifically robert downey jr has the most wonderful uh, movie moment. I mean, this is probably just one of my favorite movie moments. It's so good. He's looking at his cards. He puts them down. He looks right into the camera and he says, I am Iron Man. <laughs> just, <laughs> this is just brilliant. <laughs> What's funny is as soon as he says that, though, like the, the reporters go nuts. There are, there are a few people that I want to talk about specifically. One is, is Leslie Bibb, is Christine Everhart. As we've already said, her reaction is so static. And I love it, even as he says this, she doesn't move a muscle. She stays in the exact same position, almost like they did a freeze frame on her and rotoscoped her in as a still image. She is, like I swear, a hair doesn't move. It's amazing how good she is in that moment.
2: I wonder what she's supposed to be thinking. Is she like shocked? Is she just like I knew it or how dare you? I think she's thinking, what a dumbass. Like another man puts on
1: a suit to be famous.
0: (laughs) Well, that's funny because it does make you wonder like why was her whole line of questioning uh, that we're talking about in yesterday's minute it was it did she yeah was she suspicious like this whole you know this whole bodyguard thing like she totally didn't seem like she bought into it so it does make make you wonder it's like was she expecting this i don't know because she doesn't give a smirk there's nothing
1: but you know who does uh actually have a reaction and write it down weirdly our favorite guy stoic stoic financial reporter who is sitting right next to her who now miraculously has a pad in his hands
0: <laughs> maybe he was holding it between his knees like he just kind of had it sitting there just in case because he was really unimpressed with everything he was so
1: impressed right this yeah. is news people this is
2: news yeah i'm telling you guys marvel press cinematic universe <laughs> that's his power he just uh, the pad comes out of his the hands. agents of the
0: mcpu i can't wait ready to go The other person who who Really doesn't register much of a reaction at all, and I wonder if they had shot a uh, a shot of it or something. But you have Rhodey who's standing there next to Tony, and granted, we're only looking at him from the back, but he he like he notices the press, and he just kind of he casually turns to Tony, and I I feel like he's reacting the same way he did when he came into the caoc earlier in the film like uh, practically with a donut in his hand saying what's up guys you know like as they're chasing this bogey (laughs) like his reaction is so overly casual here it's like i almost just what are you what is this reaction of yours
2: (laughs) do do any of you guys know was that improv or was that actually part of the script like was that Part of the plan all along.
0: From what I heard, uh, Robert uh, or John Favreau actually said that they had uh, they he loved the idea. This idea had actually come up beforehand, and uh, he thought it was a great idea, and he thought it'd be fun to do. He said, "I think he said he loved the idea until he set out to make the sequel and realized how much harder he just made it on himself." <laughs> um, but he's but he said he still thought it was a really cool idea. But um, yeah, so I mean, they they had the idea. I don't know what what uh, sparked that idea i don't know why but it is scripted that way and i guess they actually told all the extras that were here that it's just a, dr- a dream sequence because they didn't want it to be leaked as a surprise and so oh. uh so that that was kind of how they uh got that to work wow. but um very interesting yeah yeah because oh, and so here's the script let me just read this because christine everhart is not in the script at all it's a very abrupt ending and i i am not a fan. Tony walks out, takes the podium, puts a hand up to silence the bubbling questions. Tony, I've seen the papers. I've heard the reports. That's why I want to put an end to all this wild speculation. The truth is, he looks to Rhodey, to Pepper, to the crowd. I am Iron Man. The reporters are up in a cacophony. We end on Tony's face. So it's it's very kind of abrupt, and it takes the the fun out of it that we had with, uh, with Christine. I, I think that they yeah. did a much better job here.
1: Well they give him a chance to be awkward and we we you know I love you know watching these last 2 minutes of Tony being awkward actually 3 minutes because we have the awkwardness between him and Pepper like it's just one like sequence after another of Tony potentially sticking his you know sticking his foot in his mouth and uh, this last line of the movie is him saying you know what I know who I am I'm going to go ahead and take care of this and uh, yeah. and and reclaim his identity uh, I think it's it's Unreal. It's it's interesting because it it communicates that he's a guy who is like I'm not going to keep secrets. I'm not a secret keeping guy. He does also have a secret underground like garage where he's you know testing all kinds of crazy equipment <laughs> <laughs> that you know with a giant padlock on his basement door that uh, you know is is um, super secret biometric. So you know there's
0: that, but. <laughs> except except when it gets broken yeah, and then he doesn't fix it, <laughs> it just for decides, oh, weeks well. and weeks you can get in through the ceiling <laughs> you can get through the the through broken the giant glass. open
1: garage door that is a garage like <laughs> runway uh that he has leading outside well and so that really is what this scene is right essentially this is him uh, saying I am Iron Man is the functional equivalent of him blasting out all of the doors on his basement. Uh, <laughs>
2: right. you know. Yeah. It's also very much, it, it's like Tony Stark. He finds his swagger at the end. Cause it's throughout this whole scene, uh, as we discussed yesterday, you know, and, and subsequently before that, how he's like from and, you know, kind of like, Oh, how do I get out of this? And then he just kind of says, you know what to hell with it yeah. and just delivers the line with such confidence
0: it's so good. It's, it's so well done. And, and again, this is a moment of Robert Downey Jr. really owning this character. And, and his, his, I think this is another reason why casting Robert Downey Jr. is perfect because he has that kind of, uh, kind of a little bit of that arrogant, swagger and that kind of cockiness that works so well and so when you see him standing there and he's just like I am Iron Man and then he kind of looks at the camera and he gives that little smirk before you freeze on him and kind of it it turns into that kind of newspaper looking image of like high contrast of dots like he that swagger and that smirk and everything that that he provides for this role is exactly what makes uh, Iron Man so successful and him so successful in the role and I think why the Marvel Cinematic Universe was born. I think this moment is a huge reason for that.
2: I I agree 100%. I just love it. It's also, in the comic book reveal, I mean, because this is kind of a, I guess, an homage to that because it's the same sort of setting. It's a press conference. Um, He's talking about some incident that just happened. Although in the comic books it's a little bit different. There was a, uh, I guess, a, of a chase or a shootout happening on the streets below and a dog was going to get run over by a car and Tony somehow noticed it. And he jumps out the window in his suit, uh, his like his business suit and then opens up a briefcase. And that's where the briefcase suit comes from. And he puts it on to save the dog and the, his uh, the reporter or something. is like, you revealed this by saving a dog. Like was very perplexed. I mean, it's actually much better done in the movie, but that's how the reveal was done in the comic book. <laughs> it's that's awesome.
0: so funny. And that was, um, and just to, the context of that was, uh, this was, when was that? When did that comic come out? I'm trying to remember. It was. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know the issue
2: number, yet, but yeah, it was in the late 80s, early 90s, I believe.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm finding something here that says it was Iron Man, uh, volume three, number 55 out of 400 from July 2002. Maybe that's not oh, right. Oh, Okay. No, that could be correct. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading something else here. Yeah, it, it might. I know as far as
2: you know, dates for me on the comics are a little fuzzy, but it was fairly recently.
0: Yeah, yeah. He he saves this dog from this kid. Everyone sees it, and uh, yeah, it occurs. Yep, that's when it is, July two thousand two. Interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I had a feeling that meh. I was debating whether it was like early '90s because the art style looks very interesting. When I kind of went right. back and looked at it, uh, it definitely invokes that feel. But uh, I also, you know, Civil War and a lot of the those uh, storylines were happening in the comic books around that time, and I seem to remember uh, that could be this whole the Identity revealing was tied into that comic book arc somehow. So they definitely had to set that up. It was like to Civil War was was 2006. Yeah.
1: And that that was the first thing I thought of uh, as I went back to rewatch this was how astute it was that they they open with this. This change in this character to give to to peel off his identity in the first movie, uh, it it sets the table for them to to really handle the iconic, um you know, identity issues over, you know, the next six or seven movies, which they ended up doing. Yeah. Like that's that ends up being uh, uh,
2: really prophetic.
1: <sighs> Uh,
2: change well. One thing I really like, I, I do like about this scene, and why I wanted to talk about it, is it also because of this reveal. It combines sort of two comic book worlds at that point. Like, because when you watch a comic book movie as a comic book fan, you're always okay. What what storyline are they going to follow, or how are they going to do this part about the character or this like story beat? And in this moment, it sort of it, it it sets the tone that they're going to take the modern approach. Uh, with tony stark but you know obviously pull in some things from his past but also at the same time uh you know during that whole marvel era of you know civil war and everything there was another comic book line called the ultimates which was sort of like a alternate universe take on the avengers which was a little more it was billed as being a little more realistic a little more cinematic supposed to feel like a movie And there's a scene where they're all sitting around talking about who would play them in a movie. And someone actually mentions, oh, I think uh, Tony Stark actually mentions, I think either Johnny Depp or Robert Downey Jr. should play me, (laughs) which I think is kind of funny. But in that universe, Tony Stark is also very public. Like, people know him as Iron Man. And so it's, to me, as a comic book fan, it's signaling that they're taking all of these little cool moments about all these different comic book universes and creating their own thing with it.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. I haven't looked at any of that. Uh, I I've because I have never read any Iron Man comics before I started the show, I, I figured, you know, I've got 3 movies to kind of do my Iron Man reading. So I've I've read a good chunk of them, but I still have <laughs> quite a lot to dig into. So,
2: yeah, go back and look at the Ultimates. That the the table scene of them casting each other is particularly <laughs> great because uh, you know, Nick Fury he comes in, he's like, well, Sam Jackson would play me, obviously, because the character at the time, they did a black version of Nick Fury instead of right. the yeah. classic comic book, you know, white guy. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. I love that.
0: There is a scene in the script that I wanted to uh, run by you guys that it technically is the end of the movie as it's scripted. And I can't help but feeling like this was... Potentially an original, like mid-credit sequence type of scene. Um, let me just read it to you real quick. It's real brief. Interior: Tony's lab, months later, night. Tony and Rody stare at a screen as the war machine suit is being designed. Rody, good. And I want a Gatling gun on the right shoulder. Tony, and a rocket launcher on the left. Where are you going to store all that ammo? Rody, whose suit is this anyway? And do it in silver and black, would you? End. Oh, dear. A little war machine. Uh, a scene. Would you guys have liked this? Would yeah. it have played okay?
1: Well no, I can't I can't say that without like uh, like in the absence of what we end up getting in the post crisis Like right. I can't that's apples and you know cinder blocks to me. <laughs> uh I I do like the idea of this kind of a callback, especially because you know he says next time, baby, as he looks at the suit, you know, in the beginning of that right. kind of big third act build, build. and so I I like the idea of that, and it ends up playing nicely with the end title credits, where we actually see the yes. Gatling gun yeah. on the 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 schematic of the Gatling gun on the shoulder. I noticed yeah, that too. I think that right, was really right. cool. So. um you know, I I like the idea. I like the idea of being a little bit more aggressive about bringing Rhodey and War Machine into the the sort of movie. But as it turns out, I I just don't think we need it. And I think what we got was so much better.
2: It, yeah, is it needed? No, but as a comic book fan, I would have loved the heck out of it. <laughs> it yeah, of course, I I want to see that. And this would have been a good mid credit stinger, which. Interestingly enough didn't really evolve in these Marvel movies until later on but yeah, right. I guess they could have set the tone early.
0: Well, I, I think for me I I like I'm like you. I love the idea of this as a scene. I think it would have played I think it would have been really cool to have, but I feel like I don't want to have it with Terrence Howard now. As awkward as that would be, <laughs> right. like, uh, like I love the idea of of him as Rody. Like I'm fine with him as Rody in this first film, but really for me, he is not War Machine. <laughs> War, machi- War Machine. War <laughs> Machine. We're gonna get later, and it is going to be perfect. And uh, and Terrence Howard is not that. War Machine.
2: Yeah, I I think I actually really when this movie came out, loved the casting of Terrence Howard as War Machine and was very skeptical and Don Cheadle and Don Cheadle, I think, did a does a great job Uh, just because Terrence Howard definitely has that comic book War Machine look compared to Don.
0: It's not that Terrence Howard couldn't have done it. I think he probably would have been fine. But it, I, he's just he I, and and I I think largely it's you know a hindsight is twenty twenty sort of reaction right yeah. because I just think that Don Cheadle is so perfect <laughs> it's like I don't I don't yeah he does a yeah, great job I, I I think it would be harder for me to watch Iron Man and have this scene with Terrence Howard like getting his suit built and then to not have him as in the suit ever would have just made it a weird scene for me yeah. Well, do you guys have anything else with this movie? Or should we talk about some of these credits? We're hitting credits now.
2: I actually, yeah, these... Now d- these credits are awesome, by the way. The, how they're stylized, it, it's it's so cool, and I love that Marvel continued this trend.
0: Initially, apparently, according to John Favreau, they wanted something that was a lot more um, 3D CG sort of looking. They didn't want this kind of these kind of rough sketch sort of drawings that we have here, like blueprint. Yeah, they uh, and, and he really kind of pushed for these, and uh, I, I'm glad that he got them because I, I I just think that they're fun. They feel like something that would be in Tony Stark's. Community. Computer, as he was kind of trying to come up with the design for all of this
1: it's cool yeah absolutely i uh it's i i think the the you know the title design is done by um uh prologue films uh and i i'm a, a big fan of their stuff and most recently that that i have seen them i mean they they've done a number of of title sequences of movies that we've scene and we've talked about on the show um you know we did uh <laughs> we did the great wall they did the uh the main end titles for the Great Wall, which were beautiful, they were beautiful but the the one that that sticks for me is the the Star Trek discovery main titles, which are a real departure, oh and, yeah, and they're behind that, and it's the same kind of look right that sort of blueprinty um uh, we're we're building a real thing out of a schematic um kind of look, and I think it's just it it's really great, great work. Um, I did find a fantastic post, uh, and I'll say "fantastic" in in quotes that of of uh, people on Glassdoor who are, talk about how terrible they are to work for, which is really sad. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, you know that's sad, but uh, but yeah. my goodness,
0: they they've turned out some great work. They're great to look at here, yeah. And uh, um, I'm not going to be go knocking on their door anytime soon to get a job, but no, I do like safe. to look at yeah. these credits. Yeah. <laughs> They're great. What do you guys think of the song choice? So, okay, because at the very beginning of the movie, it was very funny that they didn't go with um, Black Sabbath to play Iron Man at the beginning. It, it seemed like uh, kind of like a cheeky way to start by doing Back in Black instead. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of fun. I, I like that they did that. And then they kick in with Iron Man, um, but it's an instrumental version. And I actually think it's really cool. I like that they do that, that it almost feels like it's it's almost like Tony leading in with the I am Iron Man and the music kind of kicks in and it's just this instrumental that almost feels like it's just for him. I think it's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do too. I think it's fantastic. it has got a ton of energy, and it it's one of those that you're already cheering.
1: You know what I mean? Like it's that line. I'm in my head. I'm one of the press junket. You know, I'm I'm standing up and I'm screaming at at this huge news, and that music
2: just keeps me propelled. Yeah, for sure. And and I'll, I'm sitting there. I'm as I watch this movie. I'm just like, are they going to play the song? Are they are they going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice
0: to have that that payoff. It, yeah, I was I was wondering if they were going to pay it off. I didn't know. Um, uh, like much about the iron man song that black sabbath had written i knew that there was no connection to the film but over time i think just because of the way that this the driving sound of this this song plays that it has kind of become intertwined with the character of iron man very unintentionally um uh this this song The guitar riff that when Ozzy Osbourne first heard the guitar riff at the beginning of the song, he said it sounds like a big iron bloke walking about, and it kind of turned into uh, the song from there. Uh, Geezer Butler wrote it as the story of a man who time travels into the future, sees the apocalypse, and then in the process of returning to the present, he's turned into steel by a magnetic field. He's rendered mute, unable verbally to warn people of his time in the future and of impending destruction. His attempts to communicate are ignored and mocked. This causes Iron Man to become angry and drives his revenge on mankind, causing the destruction seen in his vision. I had no idea that that wow. was what the song was about. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, that is a fantastic story. It's like
1: the Cassandra complex in Steel. It, I love it. That's fantastic. I'm not a big enough fan, apparently. It's got a cinematic universe. Yeah. It,
0: well, it's one of those songs that I, I just know the beginning and I know the the riffs and kind of the way that it plays. But I don't listen to the words that that well, clearly, because I probably would have figured it out. But
2: that's, that's, a, that's fascinating. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that it's important to note that they did not pick Iron Man by Eric Dolphy, the avant-garde jazz musician, or Iron Man by <laughs> uh, De Krupps, the electropunk group. Both of them have a song called Iron Man. Nor did they Ooh. pick anything from Pete Townsend's The Iron Man, the musical that he wrote in the 80s. That was a complete bomb. So... <laughs> So I think we can count ourselves lucky wow. that they went with the Black Sabbath version. <laughs> Do
1: any of those yeah. have a narrative story as good as the Black Sabbath version? I feel like the jury's out until we know what the what yeah. the easy listening version <laughs> is actually about.
0: Well, let's just say they definitely are not easy listening. The it's very avant garde jazz. <laughs> Eric Dolphy's version. It's like a nine minute just acid. Jazz sort of song, and I was like, Wow, this is not <laughs> not uh, what I want to be listening to and uh croupes was just it was very it was electropunk and just it very much feels that way i didn 't listen to anything from pete townsend's musical, but i 've heard nothing but awful things about it and uh, despite like having a cast that you like look at the cast of people that he had in it uh Roger Daltrey, Nina Simone, John Lee Hooker. Um, yeah, it just says it, uh, it's, it's fails to come up with a set of compelling melodies. So, wow. Yeah. But anyway, um we jump into the credits and uh yeah, so we've got all these fantastic um graphics. You did mention the one of War Machine. I guess actually the drawing of that, the way that I understand it is that was actually a uh, something that Tony and Rhodey were going to add to the suit before he went off to fight Obadiah late in the film when uh, when oh. Rhodey finds him in his workshop. Um They were just boosting the suit up to go fight. And I guess by that point, they realized they just need to move the story along. It wasn't necessary, but they kind of kept the drawing and incorporated it there.
1: That's cool. That's very cool.
2: That's real cool.
0: So just talking through some of the credits of Jon Favreau, first up, directed by Jon Favreau. Um, He won an award for this. He won the Saturn Award over at the, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films. He won Best Director at the Saturn Awards. Um, He was nominated for uh, the Hugo Awards, Best Dramatic Presentation, Long Form. And he was also nominated for, this is a weird one, the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards for Best Film. I don't know how this fits into classic horror. I'm
1: sorry, the Rondo Hatton? Yeah. (laughs) Who is, or what, is Rondo Hatton?
0: rondo hatton let's see uh, an american journalist and occasional film actor with a minor career playing thuggish bit and extra parts in hollywood b-movies culminating his in his elevation to horror movie star status with universal studios in the last two years of his life and posthumously as a movie cult icon
1: wow hmm.
0: yeah all right yeah all right you go rondo cool. hatton uh, his nickname was rondo the creeper hatton <laughs> That <laughs> sounds like a wrestler. Yeah, totally. just look him up online. He has a face that fits uh, for uh, for horror films. But uh, yeah, since 2002, the, the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards have paid tribute to Hatton in name and likeness. The physical award is a representation of Hatton's face based on the bust of the Creeper, hmm. whom Hatton portrayed in the 1946 Universal Pictures film House of Horrors.
2: He looks like the Frankenstein monster guy from The Rocketeer. Is it the same guy?
0: Uh, no, he died in uh, forty six. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Well, then they modeled the Rocketeer guy
0: after yeah. him. He definitely. I mean, he's got the kind of a freaky Frankenstein face, so you can see why. Yeah. Why he took off in that direction. But
1: he's one of those guys. Like his, I'm looking at a picture of him as a young, a young gentleman, and he is much more handsome. Like he's yes, a in 1913 right. in his high school yearbook, he's a handsome lad right there. He yeah. aged into ghoulish B movie
2: <laughs> horror figure,
1: <laughs> definitely. Yes, he did. Yes, he did.
2: Oh yeah, Rick Baker modeled uh, the Rocketeer big baddie after the Creeper. That's interesting.
0: Oh, look at that! Good call wow. there. Cool Good call. Well, wow.
2: Yeah. I'm a big Rocketeer fan, so. Oh.
0: Nice. Well, we'll have to have you on when we're talking Captain America. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Joe Johnson. Well, uh, the Rondo uh, Hatton, let's see, the other nominees, uh, when we, uh, uh, when John Favreau was nominated, he lost to Christopher Nolan for The Dark Knight. So that's uh, that's who beat him out for that one. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have the screenplay by Mark Fergus and Hawk Ostby and Art Markham and Matt Holloway. Uh, the two writing teams who got the credit. I think we talked about way in the beginning of the show, Pete, the, uh, who did get credited and who didn't. Um, we did not get any credits by John August, for example, who right. uh, did some revisions. And uh, I can't remember who else, but I, it was one of those movies that had just a laundry list of people at one point who had been attached. Um, They ended up, getting, uh, let's see, they they were nominated at the Saturn Awards for Best Writing. They were nominated also at the Hugo Awards and the, nominated at the USC Scripter Awards, but uh, they didn't take away any awards for their their film. Uh, next up, produced by Avi Arid and Kevin Feige, two big uh, Marvel names. At least at this time, Avi yeah. is not quite as, uh, as connected. Past and present, I guess. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, Avi separated... Shortly after this for Marvel, right? That's
1: what I was going to ask. How many movies did he actually get the the credit on because it was short. Think,
2: well his I believe his name still shows up as an executive producer, but I don't know if he's directly involved.
0: No, yeah, cuz he he kind of was involved back in the 90s. He he was the co-owner of toy biz yeah. when they uh, ended up taking control over Marvel when Marvel was going through its bankruptcy. They pulled it out of bankruptcy and helped expand it and license it to get more movies going and all that sort of stuff. Um, He was the... He separated in 2006, so it was actually before this, but he was still producing features for Marvel.
1: Looks like he's on The Incredible Hulk, and then he's on producer for, you know, X-Men stuff, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, it seems like much more of the stuff over on the the Fox side of things. Well, Fox and Sony, so he's kind of... It's kind of all over the place, yeah. but it seems like he very much is separated from the Marvel proper because he's still very much
1: in uh, as producer and executive producer on the, the Spider-Man, even Far From Home.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He just yeah. uh, was up there for for the Oscar and everything. And so. look
1: at what he has coming up too: Venom Two, um, Sinister Six, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Two, Silver Surfer, Prodigal Son, Silver Sable, Craven um, the Hunter. He's Producer on all of those. And I, I skipped the ones that I'm actually super excited about Uncharted and Metal, Metal Gear Solid uh, have potential Ooh, to be some really fun action properties. Um, yeah. So,
0: yeah. Well, he's definitely a producer who is doing stuff beyond marvel like right. and that's that's i think something that really started when he did separate in 06 starting with brats in 2007 you know he started doing um other things uh, you know a lot of different uh, type of uh, video game properties and stuff like that like you were talking about so so yeah he's an interesting guy and i uh, i know that um um you know he still is i mean as we see he'll still be involved in marvel properties just not necessarily many more of the mcu films Right. Unlike Kevin, Nick Fury, Feige oh, yes. of the MCU. And then there's Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Kevin. This, of course, was not his first uh, Marvel credit. He, his first was back with X-Men. He's an interesting guy. I didn't realize that uh, he came from a family of uh, people in the, in the industry, but his, uh, his uh, maternal grandfather was a TV producer in the 50s who did soap operas like The Guiding Light and As the World Turns.
2: No wonder yeah. I like him so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense, uh, you know, if he's got this TV background because, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has kind of become a giant television show. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's a good point. That's a, actually really interesting. um I, Well, and I think he's just the sort of guy who he was a comic lover. And I mean, this is, that's really what Aviarid saw that brought him in, right? I mean, he was, he, I, I love this story about him, how he applied to USC before. High school actually started. (laughs) He started applying. (laughs) And I I think it was like every year he applied. And he applied five times, getting rejected every time. But it was because all of his favorite directors had gone there. And then finally on his sixth application, he finally got accepted. (laughs) And then... (laughs) (laughs) And then he was uh, he was kind of an executive uh, producer, an assistant to executive producer Lauren Shuler Donner on Volcano on You've Got Mail. And then uh, when they were working on X-Men, she made him an associate producer because he knew so much about the Marvel Universe. And that is really what impressed Avi, who brought him in as his second in command at Marvel. In that year, in 2000, and then uh, 2007, he was named president of production for Marvel Studios. And uh, and this is where we are. This is where we sit now, all because of that.
1: How do we feel about Kevin Feige? Like, just in general, in terms of his stewardship for comic book lovers who, who are watching this unveil on the big screen, uh, how do we feel about it?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's great. <laughs> it's amazing what he's done, you know, with this universe and all these properties. And, you know, the deals he's made to even get ones that weren't under his umbrella originally. So, I mean, this guy, he's, they need to lock him up. I wish they would do what he does with Star Wars, you know, Mm -hmm. That, that would be whatever he was able to do. I just think has uh, it, it, he's the magic maker in in my mind
0: it would be tricky with Star Wars because Marvel it's like he's pulling from decades of material and so so yeah. that, that's the difference there in in Star Wars they have to find people to kind of create the new vision, and I think that's the challenge is is he's really good at finding the properties that that have stories that would be interesting to integrate with each other
2: that, that's a good point
0: I'm a big fan I think that uh, that he's shown that you can do something like this. You can take these stories and these characters and you can convince these actors to say, you know what, it's going to be a small bit part, but it's going to help kind of create this this world that's going to be this bigger thing. And I love that he's been able to kind of lead the charge to do that. And all of these actors who have kind of signed on board to jump in and, and kind of be a part of this, I think it's just really, really exciting.
2: Yeah. It's like, how did he convince them? What did he say? Or like, what was his pitch? Uh, that's what I've always been curious to know. Right. And and again, you know, I watch the, the behind the scenes stuff and
1: it just feels so legit, the community that they have created out of these major stars that they still want to come back and do their you know, 6, 10, 15 minutes of screen time and and be a part of this community Um, you know, even in movies where they are not the title character and I think that is a remarkable thing that they've been able to build over these 22 movies.
2: They've definitely found people that don't have huge egos where, you know, it's, again, going back to Star Wars it's like, you know, how they had to convince Harrison Ford, you know, picking him up, you know, kicking and screaming to get back into a new Star Wars movies, where it seems like all of these guys, the people that they've casted, this is like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, it, it, it's not a big thing mm-hmm. for them.
0: I, do you think some of that is also like Harrison Ford and and that whole era of actors they didn't grow up in a period where you were signing like you know six or nine picture deals it seems like it's a very True. different sort of thing and and harrison also seems like the sort of person that never would have wanted <laughs> right. right he I never would have like done that, that. <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> well i and it's also you know just the the movie industry i think in general you know you don't really have that single giant movie star like harrison was back in his day um whereas now you know it's it's been these more group efforts. Right, right.
0: We go from uh th- this producer credit to executive producers, uh Luis Peter Billingsley, John Favreau, Ari Arid. No relation. Uh, uh, the other oh, John Favreau <laughs> no. or the Ari Arid. Uh, no, the, uh, D'Esposito. <laughs> uh, so right the um so so D'Esposito was um pro, so the, I didn't know all this he at the time he was the president of physical production of the studio, and he oversaw the budget and timeline of all Marvel Studios features, including this. And then November 12th, 2009, he was promoted to the co-president of Marvel Studios uh, uh, with um, Kevin Feige, and, um, and he was uh, doing that uh, uh, since 2009. And so that's, uh, that's who that is. Um, Peter Billingsley, I feel like we've talked about back when we did our uh, minute where he appeared. Um, and do you guys know anything about Ari Arid? Other than, I'm assuming, relation to Avi? Everything I'm looking at is, it, it, it's such a sparse
1: bio. Um, yeah. Yeah, it feels purposefully sparse. I mean, you, I've got a, pic, a picture of him. He doesn't look like Avi Arid. He's on uh, on the Marvel's Cinematic Universe uh, fandom wiki. Uh, but the... Um, the extent of his bio says Ari Arad was an executive producer in Iron Man. And that is the end of it. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the whole thing.
0: Right, right. He's
2: going on to do Ghost in the Shell, Punisher, Warzone, and Ghost Rider, Nicholas Cage. Hmm.
0: Well, then we go to our next executive producer screen with Stan Lee and uh, David Mysel. Ah, uh, Stan.
2: Oh, Stan. Good old Stan Lee. Yeah, I wonder what his direct involvement, if any, in any of these movies, because he's credited as uh, EP on every almost everything or everything.
0: Oh boy, let's see. That's a good question. How much is he actually credited on? Well, he's certainly. You know, we we never did the IMDb game with Stanley, and I feel like we should. Although you're both probably staring at his IMDb page
1: right now. <laughs> you you <laughs> actually got me right. I'm not looking at it yet. Uh, but I was I was on my way there Andy <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you guys had to guess what Stan Lee's what four movies IMDB says uh, Stan Lee is known for what would you what would be your guess
2: Ooh. oh I was yeah uh, let's see Iron Man for sure
1: I think uh, the, the first yeah, the Avengers first, well, hmm.
2: Black Panther maybe that was huge I just want one of you maybe. to say the
0: trial of the Incredible Hulk <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> definitely got i think it's got to be spider-man maybe the sam Raimi. i was gonna go there too yeah
0: okay okay um
2: and let's see what's what's one more
0: it's a God. it's a tricky one because he's been in like every marvel property since, yeah. since they started pretty much so it's like which
2: Cap i'll do captain america first adventure okay so that,
0: the new mutants oh wait
1: that's not out yet
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um any uh x-men
0: Okay, so that so th- those are yours.
1: I feel like we totally crashed and burned on this, and you haven't even told us the truth yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel confident yeah. about any of these.
0: Well, you're you're right. You shouldn't feel confident.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did we get any of them?
0: <laughs> yeah. Did we get any of those? This is what they are. Uh, the The four are Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Avengers: Age of Ultron, what? and Guardians of the Galaxy what? Volume Two. <laughs> What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> IMDb is broken. What how, the How yeah, do they holy. come up? I, like, I, I, you know, I just, I, I'm always curious about their algorithm. And why are these the four films that they've picked for Stanley? I just don't know.
1: No Spider-Man? Like, that seems like a
2: lock to me. Yeah, Spider-Man seems to be, it's got to be the number one in, in Avengers. Yeah. It's Captain America, I guess I can understand. That was a reach because that was more Jack kirby but, oh,
0: man. I, you know, Ultron I get because that's a good one. I really liked his cameo in that one. Well, and I love, I, it's not like, I, I love Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 2. I'm trying to remember what his cameo was in that one. Was that one where he's sitting with all the, the, oh, the people at the yes. end talking with them? Yeah. Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, he's like telling okay. them the stories in the space outfit. It's not a,
1: yeah, it's not a great cameo. <laughs> but, but, no, I, I, but fake. why, what are they, yeah, I mean, it's cute, but, you know. Well, what was this Black Panther cameo.
0: I'm trying to remember what his Black Panther cameo was. And What's his Doctor Strange cameo?
2: Yeah, I don't... Oh, wait, no. Was he a patient in, like, in the hospital? Uh.
1: The Black Panther cameo, he's in the poker game.
0: Oh, and yeah, he, yeah. Or he's not oh, poker, it's... uh okay. A, a,
1: Blackjack? He's playing craps. And, okay, um, okay. and he says to uh, <laughs> Dr. Watson, what's his name? Uh, I'll just hold on to these and takes his chips. Right, right, oh. right, right. right. Yeah. And Doctor Strange, do you remember that one? I don't, but I'm so fast, Stanley, Doctor <laughs> Strange, cameo. Google food. <laughs> exactly. Cut this out, make me look good. Oh, he's on the bus. You guys, how could you forget this? They're in the 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 city fight and the bus is sideways and Doctor Strange and Chewy fall and they land on it sideways and and Stanley is through the window. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, uh,
2: okay.
0: That's ah, an odd one uh, to pick as one of his his cameos. Of, yeah,
2: not a great one. Yeah. Huh. What's your favorite Stan Lee cameo?
0: Ooh. A lot of people are saying they they love the Captain Marvel one. I do too, but I wouldn't call it my favorite. I am a little partial to the one here in Iron Man because I just think it's played really nicely and it was just such a fun surprise. Uh, Yeah. Gosh, I don't know.
2: Oh, I man. I also feel
0: like the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man I kind of like it's it's not a big one but
1: I might say the trial of the Incredible Hulk game
2: <laughs>
0: uh, thank you Pete <laughs> thank you
2: <laughs> I
0: definitely like his
2: Age of Ultron cameo with Cap and the War Buddies I think that's yeah, a good that's one
0: that's a nice one that one just feels really authentic I like that one
1: yeah well it's Spider-Man 2 he saves a pedestrian from falling rocks
0: yep that's yep. right there's some good ones I actually also kind of liked his one Incredible Hulk which we'll talk about next year which is <laughs> got <laughs> a really a strange one where he's drinking like the, the tainted soda <laughs> oh yeah that's right and he faints <laughs> yeah. or something i, I, wanna, I like that to <laughs> know more well uh, do you guys know anything about david mysell the guy he's uh, credited with as an executive producer i do not i don't either and i'm always curious like why do some of these people get paired when they're accredited together like this i, I don't know enough about who this david mysell is but uh but yeah another executive producer on this and uh not always marvel films but certainly he did this incredible hulk iron man 2 thor captain america the first avenger and then a big jump to the angry birds movie oh <laughs> like he was doing a great oh, job with phase 1 <laughs> yeah. and then the angry birds we movie found something better. i don't know i don't know where that that right turn came from but it certainly is there.
2: He, hey, maybe it was top of the angry uh, birds craze. He thought he was onto something there.
0: <laughs> right. Hey, they're making a second one. <laughs> so Are I can't, they really? I can't wow. argue the financial success. Oh yes. Uh, oh, yes.
2: Maybe big in China or something. Uh,
0: it's big somewhere. All right, director of photography, Matthew Libetique. We've talked about uh, Maddie and his work quite a bit. A great job in this film. It's not like his his top caliber, like what you've seen in some of his bigger films. But I think for what he was doing here, I think he does a great job. I think there's some fun nods to, as we've called out, like some uh, nods to Star Wars and uh, the Sam Raimi works and things like that. I think that they really were having fun with it. Yeah. And then production design, J. Michael Riva, with uh, just a beautiful work all through creating the whole world of Tony Stark. I think it, it all looks really nice here.
1: Well, and some great choices around integrating, you know, real properties with, you know, their the universe uh, yeah. of Tony Stark. I think it's it's
0: really good stuff. And a good integration with the military. I thought yeah. they did that really nicely. Yeah. He and his team did get uh, a nomination at the Art Directors Guild Excellence in Production Design uh, for a fantasy film, but they did not end up taking it home. Dan Leventhal, the editor on this, uh, was nominated for by the Hollywood Post Alliance for Outstanding Editing of a Feature Film, and at the Satellite Awards, he won for Best Film Editing. Um, I, I think Dan did a great job with the editing throughout. I, I think kept this film very, very tight uh, and and cut out those deleted scenes that we definitely didn't need.
1: And, and has done a, a lot. He's been involved in um, a, a lot of subsequent Marvel films. And so uh, it's neat to see him continue to work in the universe, too.
0: Yeah, certainly john nelson visual effects supervisor um this is where the film really excels is the uh, visual effects and i think that's a, it's a standout film in that regard and it speaks by the awards nominations academy award best achievement in visual effects nomination the bafta awards best visual effects saturn award best visual effects golden derby award visual effects hollywood film awards visual effects of the year winner the Online Film and Television Association Best Visual Effects, Satellite Best Visual Effects, St. Louis Film Critics Association Best Visual Effects, mm. and then at the uh, Visual Effects Society Awards, uh, nominated for two awards, Outstanding Visual Effects in an Effects Driven Feature Motion Picture, and Best Single Visual Effect of the Year. It only took home the one win, but uh, a lot of nominations uh, really kind of pointing to the solid work all through. Did you guys? Uh, what did you guys think of the visual effects throughout this film?
2: Yeah, I think you know rewatching it recently it it really still it holds up very well you know effects wise for a few shots here or there and i think the use of a lot of practical effects with the suits uh really uh nails that authenticity i i totally agree
1: um the the thing that i i like the most when we started this movie the the critics of some of these marvel movies at least some of the, the critical commentary is and you know, oh it's just you know what we've said you know time and again is oh it's just you know fake things throwing things at fake things and some of the marvel movies have kind of launched in in that direction you know i mean infinity war is you know A a lot of visual (laughs) effects, like 150 straight minutes of visual effects. And uh, I I think this movie, I I just don't think you can say that. And if there's anything that I feel like I've come away from uh, the experience of looking at this movie one minute at a time, it is that the number of minutes of fake things literally throwing things at fake things, I think it's like four. I think it's four minutes of of stuff that is just straight up, you know, digital characters throwing other things. And it, that's the stuff that I think is, um, you know, is, is over overblown by, you know, critics of, of all of the films. When you look at this film, it is so grounded. And that is, uh, you know, such credit to the visual effects teams that that make the otherwise, you know, visual effects look so subtle and grounded in the world. Um, and and do it so so well.
2: I think this movie is a real standout. And it invents the whole like that heads up display view, which I think is yeah. a amazing and very clever way to get the actors a lot of screen time, but then in other shots have the superheroes wear their damn masks for crying out loud. Yeah. Because that always drove me nuts <laughs> about like Spider Man, the the Sam Raimi versions, is that he's always finding an excuse to take his mask off and Spider Man would right. never do that. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, it it is a very effective way. still doesn't work for Spider-Man. He still doesn't, you know, it's hard to put a HUD yeah. in his little uh, pullover mask. But for Iron Man, it is awesome, and it's brilliantly done. Next up, we have costume designers Laura Jean Shannon and Rebecca Benchin. They were nominated for the Costume Designers Guild Awards Excellence in Contemporary Film. Um, but they were nominated. They did not win. But, you know, the costumes, I think look nice everything uh, works really effectively i don't i i'm always torn like do they consider i i kind of don't think they consider any of the suits yeah, part of the costume that's what i was wondering. i feel like that's part of it's really kind of the stan winston design and kind of builds that they were doing so i don't think it ends up falling into the costumes so i think it's just the rest of all the costumes like the fancy suits that tony's always wearing yeah which are sure. the stuff that fine yeah i think to that end. yeah all of that i think works uh, associate producer Jeremy Latcham. And then we have music by Ramin Djawadi. Uh Ramin was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Music. Uh, the ASCAP Film and Television Music Awards. Uh, he got an award because his uh, the film was one of the top box office films. And at the Grammys, uh, Best Score, Soundtrack, Album for Motion Picture Television or Other Visual Medium nomination. Did not take it. How does the score uh, hold up for you after all these years, Nick? Um,
2: I think that's the one area still where Marvel is severely, severely lacking is uh, it's very forgettable. You know, the original score, as far as the soundtrack is concerned, like when they've actually put in, you know, other artists music, I think that works really well Um, in this movie, especially with ACDC and Iron Man or I'm sorry, Black Sabbath. But as far as original score goes, I mean, it's very bland, very, very forgettable. And I think that's something that's plagued almost every Marvel film, save for the Avengers. I I was just going to say that. Like, you asked me what the theme is
1: for this movie, and I hummed it in my head, and it's the Avengers theme. Yeah. (laughs) that's the only one I know,
0: right? I there are a few that I think do stand out. I think Doctor Strange is another one that Ugh, I think it's totally. a brilliant, brilliant score. Yeah. And weirdly Thor, I think Patrick Doyle had some nice themes for Thor, but I do agree largely that Marvel really still suffers from strong thematic ties in their music. It just I, I, I don't know why. And Ramin Jawadi is an interesting choice, and I certainly enjoy the music. Like I, I think that the the electric guitar, the kind of the driving theme for Iron Man, yeah. it's nice but it's brief and it doesn't like it you don't walk away singing it really i mean maybe you're like you know sort of stuff but it's not like you don't really feel like there's that john williams feel with the music
2: yeah like you know superman everybody knows what john williams score with superman sounds like or even danny elfman's batman or or um uh, what's, yeah. uh, was it, no who did uh the dark knight trilogy that i mean that score Hans zimmer and james newton howard
1: What's so interesting about Ramin Djawadi is that he has absolutely written, you know, themes like that, right? I mean, you asked me to hum a Ramin Djawadi thing and I immediately go to, you know, Game of Thrones or Westworld. I mean, those are properties of his that demonstrate exactly this kind of skill. And I think the Iron Man movie, uh, it just. The the theme Iron Man got in the way of of um, yeah
2: it's like how do you top that maybe how do you top
1: that well
0: right. and, and I think part of it is John Favreau had always worked with John Debney and even after this he'll work with John Debney on Iron Man two. Um, and but John Debney ended up having like four films that he was scoring this same year. So it was unavailable. And Ramin Jawadi actually knew this was happening. And he's a huge fan of Iron Man. And so he actually sought out the production and they'd finished filming it. They were still editing it. But um, he started playing with the ideas just after seeing a trailer and stuff. And because his time constraints were really short on this, they didn't have a lot of time to do it. And so he ha- ended up having to get some help with some of the arranging and stuff from Hans Zimmer and from the remote control team. And uh, and so I think also that doesn't help, unfortunately. I like that he's a fan, but also it's just one of those things where they don't have a lot of time to do much yeah. with it. And it just leaves you in a state where you get some good themes that work well in context of the scenes they're in, but nothing that ends up being very memorable, unfortunately. Yes. So, well, that's Ramin Djawadi. Uh, then we go to music supervisor Dave Jordan. And casting by Sarah Halley Finn and Randy Hiller, they were nominated for a Casting Society of America Artios Award for outstanding achievement in casting for a studio feature. I, I don't know personally. I feel like this film is made on the casting that we got here, and I feel like uh, I feel like it's it, it helped set up the MCU. You know what we got out of this film, yeah. and so to me, I kind of feel like it's a winner. It lost to. Uh, no Country for Old Men, but. Uh, oh, yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. If only they knew. Yeah, right. Oh, well. Um, well, that's kind of the end of uh, today's credits. Uh, do you guys have anything else <laughs> about any of these credits, or should we just wait till we can talk more credits tomorrow? What a cliffhanger. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. We're going to end on some more credits. What comes after
0: casting? i know i know <laughs> ending on casting we'll it's get top.
2: standard credits this has got to be the end of the stylized right or is there still
0: no no we're not quite at the end of the stylized oh, we'll get okay. a little bit more of the stylized tomorrow so well, sounds good awesome well nick would you like to remind everybody where they can find you out there online
2: yes uh go to www.fantasyflixleague.com that's f-l-i-x um it's uh fantasy football for indoor kids it's where you can play something like fantasy football uh but with movies and if you don't know what fantasy football is we have a great tutorial on on our homepage, which will teach you all about the game and how to play uh we also have a podcast the fantasy flicks league podcast we sort of break down box office up uh, talk upcoming attractions and trailers and uh, really kind of deep dive into the game and how the game is played to kind of give you a leg up on the competition
0: fantastic well, check that out, everybody. In the meantime, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Real. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers.